Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. gentlemen, welcome to Expo's second quarter conference call for fiscal year 2020. Today's conference is being recorded. At this time, I would like to hand things over to Vance Oliver, Director of Investor Relations. Please go ahead, sir. Good afternoon, and welcome to Expo's second quarter conference call for fiscal 2020. With me on the line today are Philippe Morin, Expo's Chief Executive Officer, and Pierre Flamondon, CFO and Vice President of Finance. Germain Lamont, Expo's founder and executive chairman, will also be available to answer questions during the Q&A period. A reminder that this conference call will include certain forward-looking statements and or estimates concerning our intents, beliefs, or expectations regarding future events that may affect Expo. Please note that such comments will be affected by risks and or uncertainties, including the impact of the coronavirus pandemic on our employees, customers, and global operations. This may cause the actual results of the company to be materially different from those expressed or implied today. For more information about Expo, I encourage you to review our Form 20F filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Our annual information form is available with Canadian Securities Commissions as well. Please note that non-IFRS numbers may be used during this conference call. A reconciliation of these non-IFRS results with IFRS numbers is available in the Q2 2020 news release on our website. All dollar amounts in this conference call are expressed in US dollars unless otherwise indicated. So without further delay, I will turn the call over to Philip. Thank you, Vance, and uh, good afternoon, everyone. First, uh, during this uh, difficult period, I hope that you and your families are all safe and sound. I would also like to extend my uh, deepest gratitude to first responders, uh, doctors, nurses, and medical staff who are putting their lives at risk daily to combat this coronavirus pandemic. They deserve our thanks and our praise. Now, turning our attention to Expo, despite the temporary shutdown of our manufacturing operations in China due to the coronavirus outbreak, we delivered solid bookings of $72.9 million in the second quarter of 2020 including a double-digit increase in test and measurement orders. We also reported sales of $55.3 million in the second quarter, while IFRS net loss amounted to $9 million. We consider these quarterly results a momentary setback to our long-term profitable growth strategy. The good news is that we have returned to full manufacturing capacity in China. All Expo sites are operational and our staff is committed to helping global network operators and web-scale companies to thrive during this challenging period. Throughout this global pandemic, the safety of our employees, communities, and customers remains and will continue to remain at the center of all of our actions. Following up on an IT issue that we initially reported in February, a virus was detected and quickly contained at Excel. IT specialists were brought in to help to resolve the situation, and I can safely say this matter is behind us. 
We turned this incident into an opportunity to also firm up our IT security systems. With manufacturing and IT issues firmly under control, Expo is open for business. We're very busy with customer meetings through virtual demos, webinars, and conference calls. We're finding creative ways to meet our customer needs. And we're continuing to book orders, albeit at a slower pace than last year at the same period. We also believe that Expo's test and measurement solutions, along with our SaaS solutions, are essential during these unprecedented times. Since our customers are being challenged by surging bandwidth demand while coping with reduced staff. The telecom industry is mission critical more than ever, with network capacity, reliability, and scalability playing an increased role in creating opportunities for Expo's innovative solutions. Several network operators and web scale companies, for example, have increased capital spending to meet the global trend of telecommuting from home. Expo, with its wealth of test and service assurance solutions, enables the deployment of such bandwidth-intensive application in a virtualized cloud-based network. Our solution helps customers maintain peak performance, and we also help them with faster troubleshooting under these disruptive conditions by providing geolocation analytics, virtual VPN remote monitoring, and active monitoring of network and subscriber anomalies, just to name a few of our solutions. Although we're open for business, government imposed lockdowns in many countries within the Americas, Europe, and Asia have affected our visibility of future business. Therefore, Expo has decided to suspend quarterly and annual guidance. We will do our best to provide the investment community with qualitative commentary about the company's upcoming prospects, but it will not be possible to offer revenue and earnings guidance for the foreseeable future. In addition, we're continuing through engagements with our customers and our partners to assess the medium to longer term business impact of this coronavirus pandemic. And at present time, we've decided to, to have tightened cost control measures, including a hold on all our future hires. Now a little bit lost in the shuffle of this pandemic with our launch of Nova Adaptive Service Assurance in mid-February. It's the first intelligent automation platform enabling mobile operators to deliver ultra-reliable and high-quality service experience in 4G and 5G environment. At the heart of this Nova ASA is a real-time automated assurance solution, Nova Sense AI, acting as a central nervous system for our platform. The combined offering leverages machine learning to provide mobile operators with heightened visibility into subscriber experience and network performance. The good news is we already trialed with this highly differentiated service assurance solution with three lead customers, and the feedback has been extremely positive. Now, in closing, I'd like to express my heartfelt thanks to the entire Expo team for delivering under trying conditions, not only in the second quarter, but as I know as they will in the weeks ahead. What makes me most proud is that we've kept our global customer base appraised throughout, the, throughout and maintained a high level of customer support. So at this point, I will turn the call over to Pierre to cover our financials. Thank you, Philip. Good afternoon, everybody. Sales decreased 25.2% to 
to 55.3 million in, in the second quarter of 2020 from 73.9 million in the second quarter of 2019. As previously mentioned, sales dropped year over year, mainly due to the negative impact of the COVID-19 outbreak on our manufacturing operation in China and supply chain. In addition, we didn't benefit from the same high level of calendar year-end spending received in Q1-19 and shipped in Q2-19, and also we didn't recognize into revenue a 4.9 million order for, no, for network topology soft, software as we did in the same period last year. Bookings, meanwhile, dipped 4.2% year-over-year to 72.9 million in the second quarter of 2020. In the second quarter of 2020, a 14.7% increase in tense emergency booking was offset by a 32.3% decrease in booking on our SaaS product line. I just mentioned, we booked a multi-million dollar contract for network topology software in the second quarter of 2019, including solutions and professional services but we didn't benefit from such large order in the second quarter of 2020. Gross margin before depreciation and amortization amounted to 57% of sales in the second quarter of 2020, compared to 60.7% in the second quarter of 2019. In the second quarter of 2020, the coronavirus outbreak led to a temporary shutdown on, of our manufacturing facility in Shenzhen, China. This negatively impacted our sale and gross margin as a portion of our cost of sale is fixed in the short term. In addition, we secure a large software contract related to our network topology mentioned before in the second quarter 19, which carried margin above our corporate average. In terms of operating expenses, Selling and administrative expenses total 24.3 million or 44% of sales in the second quarter of 2020, compared to 25.5 million or 34.4% of sales in the same period last year. The 1.2 million decrease in AGND expenses mainly reflects lower commission paid out on lower sale level in the second quarter of 2020. Also, the adoption of IFRS 16 played a part in reducing our agent expenses year over year. Net RD expenses reached 12.6 million, or 22.7% of sales in the second quarter of 2020, compared to 12.2 million, or 16.5% of sales in the second quarter of 2019. The 0.4 million increase in net RD expenses can mainly be, be attributed to inflation and salary increases, as well as projects mixed year-over-year. Year. IFRS net loss in the second quarter of 2020 totaled 9 million, or minus 16 cents per share. In comparison, IFRS net earning reached 5.2 million, or 9 cents per share, in the second quarter of 2019. IFRS net loss in the second quarter of 2020 included 1.5 million in after-tax amortization of intangible assets, 0.4 million in stock-based compensation costs, and a foreign exchange loss of 0.4 million. Geographically, 
The Americas accounted for 48% of total sales in Q2 20. Europe, Middle East, Africa represented 31% of sales, while Asia Pac totaled 21% of sales. In comparison, the sales split was 50%, 34%, and 16% among the three geographic regions in the second quarter of 2019. In terms of customer mix, our top customer accounted for 8.2% of total sales in Q2 20, while our top three represented 19.5%. Turning to a few key points on the balance sheet, our cash position increased to 20.9 million at the end of Q2 20 from 17.6 million in the previous quarter. This 3.3 million increase is mainly due to 7.1 million in cash flow from operation. These cash flow from operation were partially offset by 2.1 million for the purchase of capital assets and 1.5 million for the repayment of lease obligations and long-term debt. At the end of Q2 20, Expo had a net cash position of 2.8 million and available revolving credit facilities up to 46.8 million. Now at this point, I will turn the call over to the operator for the start of the Q&A. Thank you. Thank you, sir. And ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you're using a speakerphone, please make sure your mute button is turned off to allow your signal to reach our equipment. Again, that's star 1. If you have a question, we'll go first to Todd Copeland. Todd, your line is open. Please check your mute button. Can you hear me okay? Now we can, sir. Great. Uh, apologies for that. Uh, good evening, everyone. <clears throat> um, I was I, I had a few questions, and I'll just uh, walk through them here if I could. Um, first, on the income statement, the the opex that you had in the quarter um, is that about the right level of opex to think about uh, prior to seeing some turn up in sales once we get through COVID. Yeah, the the level. Uh, I'll make a high level comment, and I'm sure uh, Pierre will um, will will add to that. So the level of opex that we have right now is um, pretty much, I, I would say, uh, at the level that right now we're operating with. As I mentioned, we've uh, decided to put a, a hiring freeze, and and obviously um, all of the other discretionary spend uh, will be uh, every dollar will be looked at. So the opex will probably. Uh, from uh, from a spend point of view, will probably go down from what you've seen here, but um, at this point, I would say uh, with the hiring freeze that we have in place and the focus we're putting on uh, on any other kind of spend, um, you know, I, I would expect the RPEX to slightly go down, but being that kind of range. Yeah, you want to comment? Yeah, I, I would add also that the the, the Canadian currency went uh, went down uh, since uh, in the February, and that will have a positive impact on OPEX in the U.S. as well. So, so only with the currency, we we should have uh, some 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 saving, assuming that the currency uh, Canadian dollar stay at the level that it, it is uh, right now. Okay. Also, with the COVID, uh, we need to assume that uh, traveling will be deeply reduced, and uh, we should see some saving on the traveling in addition of the hiring freeze that uh, we're going to we 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 go we're doing. 
Great, thank you. And then I just noticed on free cash flow, uh, while you just lost a few million dollars before uh, non-cash working capital items, you had uh, big uh, big cash gains from uh, accounts receivable. So I, I'm assuming that you're not going to see that every quarter. So the way to think about burn at this point is the few million dollars above non-cash working capital. Is that, Tell me if I'm thinking about that correctly. Thanks. Yeah, you're right. So uh, as we have been impacted in the last month for the sales, so the, the accounts receivable went pretty down at the end of the quarter, which is good for the cash. Uh, we do expect that the, the, the accounts receivable will be back in line with the level that we we have seen in the past in in, in the 50 million roughly in in, in sale in, in the receivable. Therefore, we will need that cash to finance uh, the cash flow. So we should expect that the the the, the, the the, the accounts will go up and uh, will we, uh, require some cash. Uh, but despite that, we should be able to, to, to fund our operation uh, without any problem. And Todd, just to complement to your first to first question, Todd, sorry, I mean, um, you know, we, we also are putting measure, that I shouldn't have mentioned, but uh, on, the, on the spend as well, uh, OPEX should also go down slightly because of uh, some of the decisions we made on contractors and discounted spending like that as well. That we should uh, we should uh, that will decrease as we get into our second half. Okay. And then my last question is just update us on what the U.S. carriers are doing with respect to 5G deployment. Has that come to a complete halt and COVID needs to get out of the way before network deployments can start again? Um, just just uh, update us on what you're hearing from uh, your carrier customers regarding their 5G deployment plans. Thanks a lot. Yeah, so Todd, I mean, we engage customers. Obviously, it varies by customers, right, by operators, and, and you made specifically on America. Um, but we are that's part of our constant engagement and dialogue we're having our, to understand better. What, what will happen as the, the exit, the COVID uh, pandemic, in terms of investment, it is clear that there are needs now for bandwidth growth, so they, they, they are looking at uh, investment there. On the 5G side, I think it's still a bit too early to say if they're going to increase or delay. Um, in some other countries in Europe, we've seen actually some of the spectrum um, auction to be delayed um, you know, as, they, as the, the, the countries have to deal with the virus. So, we're going to, you know, this is part of the, the, the discussions we're having and dialogues we're having with our customers to better understand, you know, how when, once we emerge out of the crisis, how the investments and where are the priorities are going to be. Okay. Appreciate the color. Good luck, everyone. Thank you, Tom. Our next question comes from Thanos Mishopoulos. Hi, good afternoon. Um, with respect to the supply chain, uh, you mentioned China's up and running, but um, any other issues that could prove to be a risk as far as it be component shortages or other um, jurisdictions for manufacturing, or for the time being, um, does, does it seem like supply chain should be fine? So two points on that one, Thanos. Number one, as you mentioned, so, so our facilities in, in Shenzhen are up and running. We have other facilities, as you know, Quebec City, Lannion, and all manufacturing facilities are open. Now what we have to deal with is um, our supply chain of components being mainly out of China as well. We're, we're able to really uh, maintain our, our capability there. 
where we have now what I would call more shorter term challenges is on freight um, logistics. Sometimes countries are locked down, so um, and that's giving us sometimes a bit more logistic challenge. But but overall, I do view that position uh, with our supply chain, our facilities uh, across our multiple sites, across our uh, obviously China being uh, being uh, up and running now. Uh, is giving us an opportunity to respond faster with our, our customers and I maybe say a, a competitive advantage versus some of our competitors that I know have facilities and factories in, in countries that are still locked down. And, and so how is it that your uh, factories outside of China are, are operational? Is it that they're in jurisdictions that aren't locked down or do you fall into the bucket of essential services in some jurisdictions? Yeah, that's that's exactly it, and we, we fall into essential services uh, because of the telecommunication market, and so that's why all our factories are um, and and the manufacturing facilities are open. Okay, great. And then similarly, as as you speak to customers, um, obviously, you know, a lot of uncertainty out there, but um, in terms of you know their day-to-day -day operations, um, because they are essential services, are they still sending out technicians to? execute on you know previously planned um, uh, deployments or what are you seeing in the field from that perspective yeah it's a good question Sana. so so first of all i would say the amount of meetings we're having is, is uh we're very active very very busy so that's that's kind of the good news um you know a, a lot of our customers meetings are, are done over video conferencing and so on uh, but very very creative ways to do demos and stuff is uh, is what we're going through um, in terms of projects and, and activities, what I would say is it falls into two kind of categories. Obviously, the ones that, that require constructions, like fiber construction, fiber being big, big into ground and so on, those kind of projects in most of the countries there's lockdown are kind of are being delayed. But all of the other activities of, um, you know, with, with regards to bandwidth growth, VPNs, activities, and, and monitoring the network, uh, what we're seeing is there's still a lot of activity there. There's still a lot of field technicians going to houses and apartments to make sure that the, the connectivity and, and the bandwidth are secured. And this is where our, our products and the solutions are, are, are really coming across as differentiating. We, we spend a lot of R&D and effort in automation and bringing more intelligence so that when a technician goes in a, in a house, he, uh, he can troubleshoot much faster. Uh, we have a centralized fiber monitoring system so that from a central office you can monitor where the fiber issues might happen. And we've got capability to monitor where you have congestions with our service assurance uh, platform. So I would actually tell you that we have more activity. Our funnel has actually increased on the SaaS side since uh, the COVID crisis uh, compared to the TNM side. Okay, and then and then finally, in terms of the uh, bookings number in, in the quarter, remind us: is this the quarter where you have a uh, seasonal higher level of um, maintenance and support renewal coming through? The maintenance contract tends to happen at the end of calendar year, right? So they tend to be more of uh, of our uh, you know the, the the quarter hitting our Q1, Q2, sometimes a bit in Q2 for the delayed um, the delayed uh, contract but it tends to be a bit more on Q1 and Q2. Okay, yeah, so I, I guess where I, going, where I was going with this is whether that contributed disproportionately to the uh, bookings number, but um, as you said, I guess it's more of a Q1 impact than a Q2 impact. Yeah. Uh, okay, great, I'll, I'll leave it there, thanks. Thank you, Thomas.
Once again, everyone, it is star one. If you have a question, we'll now go to Tim Savageo. Uh, hi, good afternoon. A um, couple of uh, questions here. Hey, um, I wonder if you could talk about, I think it's about a 15% year-over-year increase in test and measurement bookings, and give us some color on kind of what the drivers were um, on that increase on a on a year on year basis. Tim, so two uh, two main drivers coming in. One is again uh, on our what we call our transport and data comp portfolio, so 400 gig, uh, 100 gig solutions, uh, optical RF. Um, this was again um, a good a good performance of our uh, of our portfolio. So we're continuing, and we tell we tend to sell this to the web scale guys. We tend to sell this to the NEMS, uh, but even some of the operators in their labs. So that continues to be a very strong performance. The other one, nice growth, is on um, on the manufacturing our manufacturing customers or our what we call NVR. Another very strong quarter for manufacturing. Capacity. And if you recall, um, you know we, we've reinvested and and by through an acquisition of Yanista, uh, and we've continued to really see some nice growth uh, of our particular uh, business there with manufacture of, of I'll give you an example of uh, of transceivers, but also manufacturers of optical components, uh, and that continues to fuel some nice growth for us now. Again, our physical interface, our physical products, OTDR, and so on, that continues to do really well as there's more fiber deployment and fiber to the antennas. But in terms of growth percentage, um, Tim, I would say it, it's uh, you know the, the 100 gig, 400 gig, and our manufacturing uh, MDRs uh, product line. Well, that's great color. Thanks. And you know, clearly you built some um, a backlog here in the quarter. And which would presumably be, you know, a tailwind heading into Q3. So you've obviously got some headwinds as well. Uh, you mentioned, um, you know, continuing to book orders, but at a reduced rate. I wonder, you know, in lieu of any guidance, if you could maybe talk to us about the month of March, just sort of what's the sort of magnitude of the kind of run rate order decline and would you expect that to <clears throat> more than offset what should be something on the order of a $10 million tailwind in terms of building backlog heading into Q3? Yeah, I mean, and that, that's the uh, obviously the, the, the big question right? in terms of uh, visibility of, of what we're seeing. I, I would say the good news, there's two good news for us. One is that there is a backlog. We have good, good backlog on our P&M. There's a good backlog on our SaaS. Business that we're absolutely going to leverage in the in the next uh, quarter and, and next quarters. Um, you know, on the SaaS side, we still have over uh, 60 million dollars of, of of backlog that we want to continue. Uh, and then, obviously, if you just do a quick math um, between what we had done in terms of revenue and our, we tend to have a book to bill ratio of one. You can see the type of backlog we have on the TNM side as well. So that's that's the first point. So the the, the backlog is giving us a, a good good base to work to work from. Um, the second item is I do believe the fact that we all of our uh, facilities, our sites, and our functions, whether because our employees are working from home or all our facilities uh, that are essential are, are operating, allows us to quick, quick, quickly respond 
uh, with customers that they may have uh, an urgent need. And we're seeing that, uh, you know, out of uh, certain countries in Asia, mainly in China, that things are, are picking up really well and, and we can respond. And the third is the, the lack of visibility because of the coronavirus. Um, you know, it's very difficult to, to, uh, to kind of predict um, how, um, how our customers are going to, uh, in terms of or, ordering equipment, ordering solutions, um, you know, most of our customers have people on site. They can receive the equipment at their warehouses, but it's clearly, as I mentioned in my opening statement, a, a, a bit slower. And and plus, we we still don't know how quickly uh, we're going to reemerge out of this crisis, and that's what's preventing us from giving more uh, detailed guidance. No, no, understand about the guidance. It's just kind of you know to the extent that you've got some kind of real-time data. <clears throat> that's what I was asking about, although, you know, mm -hmm. understand it's, that's probably not enough to form a trend either. Um, on the flip side, you mentioned that, and we've seen this pretty extensively throughout, you know, cable, telecom, you know, obviously significant increases in network traffic, you know, leading in many cases to, you know, expedited capacity. Uh, you made reference to that, but I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more specifically about how that manifests itself kind of in, in Expo's business, um, whether you'd see it more kind of in uh, access network augment augmentations and, you know, field tech roles to uh, address those or more in kind of, you know, high-speed metro core capacity or, you know, to the extent that you've you've seen customer behavior change in these last few weeks to deal with increased traffic. Any more color on, you know, kind of how that's developed would be, would be great. Yeah, so the, the, the trend that, that, that we're seeing is on, on the, there's still a need to make sure that the, the field techs are fully equipped with uh, innovative solutions and, and automated solutions. So we're, we're seeing, uh, we have launched a product called Optical Explorer um, a few months back that is getting a lot of attention because it does help the field technicians to troubleshoot much, much faster than, than the previous solutions based on, on uh, our power meters and so on. And we're seeing a need for field techs to be better equipped so that as they go uh, they're into a house and apartment, they, they can do their troubleshooting faster. The second thing is, um, and is around our centralized kind of more solutions, which are service assurance. Uh, we're providing, um, you know, geolocation analytics, and that allows the people to our operators to figure out if they're having particular congestions uh, into the network. Same thing on VPNs, as you know, a tremendous amount of, of VPNs are required now. Uh, now you got to monitor those VPNs, uh, and and we're providing solutions. And these are software solutions, so that's why I was mentioning the funnel for those particular applications as as increased for us, and so. And then, and then I would say we're we're, we're really um, seeing opportunities where um, on cyber monitoring in particular, this this uh, this particular activities we're seeing where people need again, um, as you 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 know the 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 knock centers have fewer people. They they don't they're not fully staffed, and to be able to provide them with solutions that. Uh, are pretty automated and, and easy to install centrally and manage is also uh, giving us an edge. So 
But the place where we're seeing a decrease and a slowdown, as I mentioned, is on construction build-out, and that's that's uh, that's kind of understandable. But I think the places we're seeing now more growth is on on field technicians and then on our centralized SaaS offering. Got it. <clears throat> Sorry, thanks. And last question for me. Um, you know, one area, and you've kind of talked to it a bit, but like to get you to be a little more specific that you guys do have control over is obviously you're, you know, you're spending from an OPEX perspective and you've mentioned sort of anecdotally a uh, couple of items that should be providing downward pressure. Um, you know, any chance of quantifying that a bit more? Should we be expecting something like at least a 10% sequential decline in OPEX in, in Q3 or as you look at all these kind of anecdotal things, how does that, kind of add up. Yeah, no, Tim, what I would say is that, uh, again, I think you've seen in the past, uh, we, we've always been very, very diligent with, with uh, our cost and our, our, our spend, and we're going to continue to do that. And, and whether it's on hiring freeze or, or, or no replacement or, or uh, contractor spend and so on, uh, to me, that's kind of the main focus. Um, as we are doing our business assessment, talking to our customers around the medium term, longer term, we'll have, we'll, we'll have to see what, what other options if we need to go there. I do feel, and, and maybe I'm optimistic by nature, but I do feel that based on our position, uh, based on our solution, based on the fact that the telecom industry is so mission critical, um, and the backlog that we've got, that I, I think we can, we're in a good position to navigate the storm. Um, but again, there is some uncertainty that we'll need to assess in the next few weeks based on uh, on what we're seeing in the market. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Our next question is Robert Young. Your line is open. Um, good evening. Can you hear me okay? Um, yes. The, uh, the line of question that Tim was on around the, um, uh, the backlog, if I could dig into that a little more. I understand you're not giving guidance, but um, perhaps, uh, I think you said $60 million backlog, that's on the SaaS side. Um, would you be able to share any backlog that you've built up on the TNM side? And the reason I'm asking about that, I'm assuming that the China shutdown, to understand that's mostly TNM handheld uh, production, would that have built up a backlog? Yeah, no, that's, uh, yeah, so, so again, um, Again, when you when you look at what happened in our Q2, um, you know the, the, we effectively lost almost a month of, of supply from our Shenzhen factories, which tends to be our higher volume kind of, of product, and, and therefore, um, yeah, quick, quicker quicker turnaround and, and sales cycle. Um, so what I mentioned though to the backlog uh, question, we have um, you know we've mentioned before that we have about over 60 million six zero. Of backlog in SaaS, and and that's still still the case. So that's a really good backlog. Um, and then for the TNM, although we never provide uh, a backlog, you, you can kind of figure out that if you know our, our book to bill ratio tends to be uh, close to one, and we tend to be able to to um, respond pretty faster, pretty fast to with the TNM. So it kind of gives you the kind of the backlog that we're we're um, coming into our our uh, third quarter with. Okay, so that sounds like something like ten to fifteen million dollars backlog there, probably. And does that convert? You said book to bill is one, so that's a pretty quick conversion, yeah, I would assume. You'd expect that to go it's through pretty, the quarter. 
Yeah, and obviously it's again with the uh, the, the lockdowns and so on. It's in normal terms, I would say, yeah, it would cover convert pretty quickly. Um, but we obviously need to make sure that you know we can deliver, and and uh, and I, I'm pretty pretty confident we will. It's just we gotta work uh, through uh, some of the challenges we have here with with freight and logistics and so on, and okay, continue like that. Um, the um, the China shutdown. I mean, if I look at the actual operations, you said everything's up and running now. Um, the only place you've been impacted is the Shenzhen uh, manufacturing, as I understand it. All of your other manufacturing has been un uninterrupted. Is that correct? That's correct. I mean, all all our factory. Obviously, we had to make sure we provide all the right security uh, and, and cleanliness and, and associated with all the right measures that, uh, that we need to do in our other facilities. But, um, you know, other than the COVID-19 security aspect, none of our other facilities uh, were impacted. So that's, again, as I'll, I'll reiterate, and it's good news throughout all this, is that we're, we're very, you know, we're open for, for business. And, and, and I do think that based on some of the bookings we're, we're seeing is I do think that it's giving us a, a short-term competitive advantage because I, I know some of our competitors are at facilities in uh, in countries that are still in lockdown. Okay, and then maybe if, if is there any information you can give us on the timing of China production coming back? And I mean, you say it's at um, you know working at full uh, capacity now. Uh, when would that have uh, hit full capacity? Would it have been sometime in March, or would you? Have you know, been back to normal by the end of February. No, no, no. It was, it, we, we were back to uh, the beginning, uh, really late February, but very, very first week of uh, of March, sometime in March. Okay. It, it took, uh, so and as you know, uh, Rob, right? There was a lot of to, trying to get all the employees back and get the whole supply chain. Uh, it, it took us pretty much all the month of February to be to get back on track. So, so beginning of March is when we uh, we were back at at full. Okay, and then uh, maybe another line, different line of question, just around um, the balance sheet and your access to capital. I, cash went up, like uh, previous question. Um, when you look at the balance sheet, maybe it's a little less cash than I've seen on the balance sheet in past years. Um, are you happy with where it is now? Um, how much cash do you generally think you need on the balance sheet? One, you know, to fund your operations now and then how much do you need to keep your customers happy uh, who are probably looking at your balance sheet? So I'll, I'll answer first and then Pierre will, will comment. I'm sure we'll provide more color. And I, again, based on where we are now, based on, on again, what we, with the fact that all our sites are open, the fact that, the, you know, that there's bandwidth growth and, and aspect, I, we're feeling okay with where we stand on a balance sheet. I mean, we're not, you know, I think we, we've got some nice backlog to play with. And um, and I and I would just make sure that, you know from the point of our business we are we're in a in a good position. But I'll, I'll let Jack on, and I'm sure has, uh, he has more color. Yeah. So so as a CFO, we want to have as much cash as as much cash as possible for sure. Uh, but but uh, we 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 did have a line of credit up to 70 million Canadian dollars. So so. Uh, I, we we're in good shape to 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 afford the the the, the next quarters, uh, and I think that the balance sheet that we have is strong uh, ever for our customers. So I don't think that our customer would be afraid with 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 uh, what we have, uh, and back to uh, positive EBITDA. Uh, that's the goal that we have uh, for the the rest of the year. 
Okay. Maybe just one last clarification before I let the line go. Um, when I said uh, 10 to $15 million backlog in TNM, the, re the re way I got to that was just looking at uh, the $55 million reported and the 68 and a half at the midpoint of the guidance yeah. before all of this happened. Yeah. I'm just is, Am I wrong in that math, or no. um, is there something else there from the IT uh, uh, systems outage I should be thinking about? No, 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 Rob, you're in the right ballpark. Okay. Thanks. I'll pass one. Thank you. Our next question comes from Richard C. Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, you talked about the funnel on the SaaS side. I'm just kind of curious. I wasn't clear in terms of you guys have the capacity now to sort of fulfill all that demand. Yeah, on the SaaS side, uh, Richard, it's it's predominantly software solutions, right? And 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 then we have yeah. sometimes professional services to to do uh, you know to do the integration and customization. So so on both cases, I mean, again, shipping software, that's not a, a, a an issue. And then on the uh, capability to do the software integration and customization, we have absolutely the capacity to do that, and, and uh, no no challenges there, no no issue there. Okay, so you don't have to be on site to actually deploy that. Okay. Uh, yeah, I had a lot of but and even in, and, but even in some cases, Richard, even in some cases where you have to be on site, uh, again, most most of our customers have people on site, so you know obviously you need to be careful, and it'll take a bit more time, but. Most of the time, we don't need to be on site, but if we do, uh, we do have that capability to do that as well. Okay, thanks. And then, uh, you know, there's a lot of questions on sort of the the cost structure. Um, it's just sort of coming about a different way. If you kind of look at the OpEx cost structure, what proportion of your total OpEx is considered uh, fixed costs? I, I may answer. So I will say that most of our OPEX costs are fixed. The, the variable costs will be mostly the uh, commission for sales, traveling, uh, trade shows, uh, some marketing. Okay, but most of the costs are payroll. So, so if we want to reduce costs, we need to reduce the, the payroll costs through various uh, means. Uh, in Canada, we, we we have some program that has been. Uh, announced by the federal government. We, we have to look if we can apply on that uh, or not. Uh, and, and so, so I, I have to say that this is mostly fixed costs on the OPEX, uh, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah, I just sort of, you know, obviously uh, all, all companies rightly so want to keep the headcount in place. You know, I, I would probably consider that partly variable to some extent. Uh, um, but those yeah. are tough decisions, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. With respect to like the receivables, obviously, uh, you know, it seems like things are going pretty well so far. But have there been any kind of discussions uh, with your current base in terms of uh, them thinking about maybe deferring payments and, and how you're thinking about the receivables here going forward? With with our customers? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so far so good. The, the customer continues to pay within the, within their terms. Uh, we'll see going forward with the, the the state of the the business in each country if uh, we may have some some issue for collecting uh, on due time. But uh, most of our customers are large company with uh, usually uh, some good cash balance. So uh, so I don't expect to to have a huge high DSO uh, increase uh, in Q3 and Q4. Uh, 
maybe we will have some some here and there some some customers taking a little bit more time to pay us but uh, uh, I don't expect uh, too much trouble so far okay great okay thank you thank you Richard. and our next question is from Daniel Chan hi good afternoon guys I just want to make sure I understand the the market dynamics here so is it safe to say that your February quarter uh, revenue was light because you had supply constraints given the China shutdown, but demand was still strong, and that's why you had a good book to bill. But come March, especially like mid-March, you saw uh, demand kind of take a stall out a little bit, and that's why you're saying that the bookings have slowed a little bit. Is that is that a fair summary of what's going on? No, what, what again? Maybe I'll, I'll say in a different twist. So the for our Q2, the bookings were was 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 strong, solid, and, and mainly. Uh, showed by a 15% growth on our TNM side, which was driven by what I mentioned earlier, 100 gig, 400 gig, and so on. Uh, and then the stronger book-to-bill -to -bill ratio looks better because of the uh, supply challenges we had in China, which which allowed us to effectively only ship 55 million. Since the uh, COVID virus impacting now other regions in China, uh, as we hit uh, other countries, Europe and and in the U.S. We have seen that, that uh, the, our, the booking rate is not as fast as if you compare last year to this year, and it's mainly due to the COVID um, crisis that uh, obviously our customers are trying to navigate through working from home, navigate through uh, the situation, then the lockdown, and, that, uh, and that's caused, uh, uh, I guess, what I would call the bookings rate to not be as um, as uh, as strong as it was for the same period last year, which I don't think anybody is surprised by that. Yeah, okay, that's helpful. Thanks for that. Um, you made some commentary around uh, uncertainty around 5G deployment. Um, just wondering whether you're having the same kind of uh, discussions around virtualization of networks. I think the virtualization of networks is continuing, uh, Daniel. I don't think there's any change there because the, our customers are I started that trend. They're going to continue to do it. It provides them with capex and opex reductions, and that to me is is continuing. And we're seeing that with our SaaS portfolio. We mainly sell now our solutions with with our probes are all virtualized, all in containers, um, and so that that trend is going to continue. I don't think it's actually going to slow, slow down. Okay, great. Thank you. At this time, there are no further questions. I'll hand things back to the CEO, Philip Marin, for any additional or closing remarks. So uh, thank you again. So just a few key takeaways before we conclude this call today. So again, first, Expo reported solid bookings, uh, $73 million in our second quarter. And as we just mentioned, uh, almost 15% year-on-year increase in orders for our TNM business. Um, second, all our Expo sites are fully operational and our staff is committed to help our global network operators and web scale companies to succeed during this uh, challenging time. And third, we launched a highly differentiated solution, Mobile Adaptive uh, Service Assurance, which does le leverage uh, machine learning to provide mobile operators with better visibility. Um, we believe that our Expo's uh, solution, both on TNM and our SaaS, will be essential in the upcoming months as our customers are challenged with this increased demand and then as well with coping with reduced staff. And then finally, we do have, uh, have to suspend our quarterly and annual guidance due to uncertainty surrounding the breadth and duration of the coronavirus pandemic. Um, at this point, 
With this um, conclude our 20, second quarter 2020 conference call. On behalf of the entire XFL team, uh, I thank you for joining today, and then please stay safe. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, that does conclude today's conference. We would like to thank you all for your participation today. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.